What's up, Batty Bees? I'm Brianna, mom, wife, serial entrepreneur, and host of the Badass Basic Bitch Podcast. Each week, I sit down with a seemingly ordinary woman who's doing extraordinary things, and I get to share her story with you. So let's go. Buckle up as we're going to get real and dive into the shit nobody talks about. Welcome to the Batty Bee Club. Moving on doesn't mean letting go. You know, people may die, but our relationships don't. Or things may end, but their impact or their effect on us are still with us. Sometimes the things that are the hardest are still written to all we become. They give us our strength. They give us our stamina. They they help us pivot when things feel hard, you know. Sometimes people come to me with that job loss you were talking about, and they realize they never wanted to do this thing to begin with. And so we get to sort of pivot together and say, okay, we have this freedom now. What is it that we want to build? Welcome back to another episode of Badass Basic Bitch. On today's show, we are joined by Gina Maffa, who is a compassionate, licensed clinical social worker who specializes in grief, loss, and life transitions. Her approach blends hope and humor with support, utilizing her expertise in cognitive behavioral therapy and trauma-informed care. And today, that's what we're going to be talking about. So we are going to be talking all about grief, loss, life transitions, and how to get through it. So Gina, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So before we get started, why don't you give us a little deeper dive into who you are and what you do? Yeah, absolutely. It's always so funny, you know, hearing your bio and I'm like, ooh, that's interesting. I've never heard that one before. Or, (laughs) you know, it's not that it isn't true, but it's more like, oh, wow, it's just funny to hear that about yourself. Yeah, I am a grief and trauma therapist in New York City. I have a private practice um, and I work primarily with people going through either really traumatic losses, different types of losses, or life transitions that they're grieving in any given moment. And I just wrote a book that looks at kind of the modern ways that people are grieving post-pandemic and, you know, looking at non-death losses and how we really can navigate those um, through either a clinical lens or just a lens of self-compassion and grief-informed care. Um, And so that's kind of my, that's my new gig. And what inspired you to specialize in grief, loss, life transition. I feel like this, usually it's like something happened or you're just super empathetic. Like what drew you to this? You know, I think that it it's sort of all related. When I look at mental health in general, I feel like there's such a thread through everything and it's grief you know, and so there's disconnection, you know, whether it's breakups, divorces, job loss, home loss, livelihood loss, whatever it may be, you know, there's different types of addictions, there's, and there's disconnection and loss in all of that. And, you know, when I left graduate school, I left with the um, idea that I was going to be specializing in trauma, because at that time, it was sort of the, the post 9-11 September 11th had had just happened here in New York and PTSD became sort of a household term. You know, people started to understand what trauma was because people were experiencing it over and over and over with, you know, all of the flashbacks and everything. And so I started to do a lot of work in trauma and over the years realized that, you know, something we weren't talking enough about was the loss inherent in things that happened to us. And nobody was honoring that. You know, there's a before and an after in hard things that we go through in losses and traumas and significant changes, even good stuff. 
And we don't look at that. And so I started to feel like the biggest mental health burden that people were carrying really was grief. And and so I've been doing that work now, um, grief and trauma for the past 20 years um, in New York. And it's been so rewarding, I think, in teaching people that what they're experiencing is something that needs to be grieved as well. So it's it's interesting since society is so afraid of grief and like it's contagious in some way that it is something that everyone will experience or know someone who's experiencing it right now. Such a good point. I think about this actually quite often because in terms of like loss of debt in death, like I haven't lost, I've only really lost like one, two elderly folks where I've never really experienced that type of loss. But when I think about even like my marriage, you know, I had a marriage, um, I got divorced, remarried, extremely happily remarried. But there is this grief of like, I built this life um, where we had a beautiful house and really comfortable living situation, three beautiful children. And there is a grief that happens in that divorce, even though I wanted it and I'm happy for it and I'm happy for my new marriage. There's like this grief of like this loss that you worked for, that you put in and that you worked for and now is gone. And now you have to redo it. And I was trying to explain that to someone at one point and their feedback was like, yeah, but like, you're so happy right now, right? Like if you didn't do all of that, you wouldn't be so happy right now. And I'm like, it doesn't negate the fact that like, I lost something. I lost an idea. I lost something that I went into my marriage wanting and expecting and I worked for, and I lost that. And now, yes, I have it now, but it doesn't negate the fact that like I I still lost it. And I and I think to your point, a lot of people don't allow themselves to grieve, grieve in that sense or recognize that loss. And that's what you're talking about in terms of like life transitions, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny, even when you were talking about expectations, you know, there's grief in the future. You planned a life with somebody, you had hopes, you had dreams, you had visions, you know, you were working towards something. And now it's like the house of cards is washed away in the, in the water. And you're not allowed to be sad about that. And it's just, I feel like so many communities, so many different parts of society, it's, it's either or. You're either happy now or or you're you're not, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and there's no both and, right? You can be really grateful that that happened and still grieve it. You know, we can be happy that we have transitions in our lives that may lead us to something better and also feel the sadness and the loss of what we're leaving behind. And yes. that is kind of one of my biggest, I mean, pet peeves, I guess we can call it with society really having a black and white way of thinking about it. And grief is not, grief is in the gray. Grief is not black and white. It's complicated. It's layered. There's so much to it. It it sort of blends together every feeling we can have. It's a full body experience. And, you know, and it's something that that feels so much of a mystery to us that we just sort of have to categorize it as good or bad, right? You're not allowed to think about sort of the loss of your hopes and dreams and expectations and the things you built because you've got happiness now. Focus on happiness now. <laughs> it's, it's so one-dimensional here, you know. 
As our world gets smaller, being able to speak another language seems less like an optional skill and more of a must-have. For someone like me, always on the move, Babbel has been a great match. So picture this. You're learning about a different culture without even having to leave your living room. And that's what Babbel has offered to me and apparently millions of others with over 16 million subscriptions out there. Their 10-minute lessons put together by a bunch of language experts have got me starting to speak a new language in just three weeks. It's focused on having real conversations that matter in day-to-day life. A bonus for me has been getting my kids involved. They've been quick to join in, helping me learn how to order at restaurants, ask for directions, or just chat in another language. Babbel's approach, which really focuses on talking and its nifty speech recognition, has turned learning from a solo chore into something fun we can do as a family. There's even been research backing up how useful Babbel is showing that spending 15 hours with the app is as good as a semester of college-level language classes. Pretty cool, right? And I've got a pretty cool special for you, too. Right now, get 50% off a one-time payment for a lifetime Babbel subscription, but only for our listeners at babbel.com slash BBB. Get 50% off at babbel.com slash BBB, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BBB. Babbel isn't just about learning words. It's about opening up new ways to connect and understand with a ton of lessons from over 200 linguistics and more learning options than you'll know what to do with, Babbel's got you covered, no matter how you like to learn or how packed your schedule it is. So join me and let's dive into learning a new language with Babbel. Yeah, I have a friend too. um, When her son was like two or three, he was in an accident and, um, you know, he, he was born neurotypical, but the accident caught like is now he's neurodivergent Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because she battles with the fact of like I I'm so thankful that I still have my son and that I didn't lose him but like I also lost him and still to this day when he's in you know fifth sixth grade she's like I still grieve every every milestone everything every dance like when he goes when he should be getting his license it's like the the grief never ends. Um, it's just this continuous thing. It's like, and although I'm so thankful for it, it's like, I also am torn because I've got this like underlining pain of loss, continuous loss. Um, so I'm really curious. I'm really curious from your mm-hmm. perspective, like how do you approach healing or therapy or, um, you know, grieving, ongoing grieving to some of these life transitions. Yeah. You know, what your friend is experiencing is an ambiguous loss, right? He's still there, but there's so many different types of losses and secondary losses that she's living with. And it's like somebody who's going through something with dementia, right? We're, We're grieving a parent with dementia. They're still there, but they're not the same person. We're grieving our relationship. We're grieving the meaning that it had, the different ways in which we related to them. And that's a really... I mean, valid loss and that matters and it has to be acknowledged and honored. And, you know, for me, first and foremost, it's just important for me to talk to people about what they're experiencing and teaching them about that experience because 
so many people are like, but I have him, so I shouldn't complain. Uh, They're still there. You know, other people lose their mom. My mom is still here, you know? And so we do that with ourselves, this sort of negotiation, because we are taught by society that we have to be grateful for the things we have, or we have to, you know, it has to be one or the other, like I was saying. But the truth is, is that these losses can sometimes be more devastating because they don't end. There's so many different things, you know, milestones that are yet to be grieved. Um, And so for me, it's sort of normalizing that that it's okay to feel what you're feeling. In fact, you have to feel what you're feeling because otherwise you're shrouded in a sense of isolation and shame. And that sense of, I shouldn't complain, no one wants to hear it. Um, And it's lonely in that place. And so, you know, first, I think it's important to just normalize what people are going through and teach them about what it is. Having a name for something that we're experiencing is really powerful because then it can help us understand what it is we're experiencing that then can help us take our next step. And so whether it is going to a therapist or going to a support group with other people experiencing what it is you're experiencing or learning and reading all the books you can on this, you know, I think that having a sense of agency, especially when it comes to different types of losses, it's going to be really, really helpful because although it won't take away the loss and the feelings will still be there, at least you don't feel like you're drowning in this unpredictable, turbulent unknownness, you know, and because that's what fresh grief and sort of that new experience of loss can make us feel like we're on this other planet. Nobody, um, nobody knows what we're going through. We don't know what we're going through. It's ever changing. We're just trying to grasp at something and we don't know how. And so once we can understand what it is we're experiencing, um, I think then we can start to take the next step. So that's really kind of how I start when I talk to people is really helping them to understand what it is they're experiencing, looking at their life as a whole and where this sort of will begin to fit in inevitably because we aren't ever cured from grief. It just becomes a part of what we carry, which nobody likes to hear, right? Because we're like, when will I feel better? I can't feel like this forever. This is too hard. And it does get easier. But then we have anniversaries or birthdays or days of meaning or things that make us feel like we're in a, in a setback in some way. And it can bring us back to square one, right? And then we can feel helpless all over again. But inevitably, it is a part of who we are. And we do carry it in different ways. And it does become easier to carry. Yeah, I love what you said in terms of like giving it a name. I think that when we feel isolated and we feel alone and we feel like the outlier, it just snowballs. And the second you're able to say, no, this is a thing. Like it's called blah, blah, blah. And you can read about it and learn about it and relate to it. It allows the acceptance of, okay, this is what I'm going through. And here are some recommendations to help me through it. And I think that is relatable to any sense um, of just finding the what it is to help you understand it. Um, So I love that advice. You mentioned mindfulness, meditation, and how it influences like what you do and your recommendations. Maybe you can go into a little bit more of like, why do you do, why do you incorporate those in your approaching to, um, to healing? And by the way, meditation comes in many forms. <laughs> so more of not just the sitting down like yeah. home, um, because <laughs> when you're in survival place, sitting down and allowing your thoughts in is 
absolutely terrifying. Um, but mindfulness in general is something that I talk about or in, in different ways, sort of, I don't talk about it as much in sessions, but I, it's in the way that I work. Um, and it's really because, like I said earlier, grief is a full body experience and, or hard things, right? Traumas are a full body experience. We experience it so physically and our nervous system takes over, right? So some people become so dysregulated that they're in a stress state all the time and they're in a state of survival. They're in fight or flight or freeze. And so creating a sense of mindfulness is really just saying, okay, let's let's shrink your world down for just a minute. Have you had enough water today? Have you eaten protein? Have you gotten sunshine on your face or fresh air? Have you spoken to someone who loves you? Where are we in terms of taking care of our bodies? Where are we in terms of just being present for just a moment? Because when we go through hard things, you know, when I lost my mom, I, I, don't, I don't remember eating. I don't remember being hungry. I don't remember sleeping. So much of that goes out the window. And so when I talk about mindfulness, it's really about bringing our lives as sort of small as we possibly can to just, you know, 10 minutes at a time and being as present as we can with checking in with ourselves. How am I feeling? Do I want to go to this event that I've been invited to, even though I promised I would go? Can I bake cupcakes for my kids class, even though I'm in grief and mourning? I mean, and it's, and it's really just checking in to say, I have these things in life. Life does go on and grieving can sometimes feel like a luxury. But I also have the obligation to take care of myself first. And because if I'm not okay, I'm not going to be able to go on and I'm not going to be able to be there for others inevitably. And, and so I really think that kind of that's the nutshell of, of the idea of mindfulness and kind of what I bring into my work, which is it's okay to stop. It's okay. You don't have to grieve or hope in the ways that other people expect you to. And I think we're so used to that, this recipe, that it's okay to do it your way. And it's okay to say no, and it's okay to create boundaries, even if they have repercussions. You know, I, I just think that we don't do enough of that mindful decision-making or even just mindfully taking care of ourselves when we're in a state of crisis. So it's just reminding you of the really small things that will keep you going because grief trauma, you know, hard things in life, they take endurance. It's not just a sprint. And so you have to be okay a year from now. It's not just really, you know, so you have to go 10 minutes at a time, just a little at a time and making sure that you're really as present with yourself as you can be. And that's a tall order for people going through loss. So I say that with the understanding that yeah. if I say drink water, it sounds really annoying. <laughs> and yet most people will still forget to drink water. You know, and so it's it's one of those yeah. things where we're like, yes, yes, I know. And are you doing it? Because those are the things that go by the wayside first. Yeah, it's like the nurturing of yourself. Um, taking care. It's like one hundred and one, taking care of your taking care of yourself. Not necessarily like, oh, did you get your nails done? Did you get your hair done? It's like, are you treating? My dad always said, like, your body is a temple. You know, you have to treat it. Like your body is a temple. Um, no matter what you go through, you have to at least do the nurturing 101s of are you getting enough fluids? Are you exercising? Are you, um, you know, are you eating 
the right way because without your body and your mind intact, like you're not able to function or, or process anything. I always hold that advice near and dear. We've been trying to eat healthier and make better choices for the environment, and Green Chef has been a huge help. It's a meal kit service that's all about clean, sustainable eating, and it's great for our family. What I appreciate about Green Chef is how it fits so easily into all kinds of eating habits. Whether we're experimenting with keto, paleo, or just trying to stick to balanced meals, they have options for us. But the best part for me is knowing that the food we're eating is genuinely good for us and the planet. It's real food that makes us feel good from the inside out. Recently, we've been trying their gut and brain health meal plan, and it's been a hit at our house. It's not just that the meals taste good, they're designed to be good for us too. It's been awesome to see everyone enjoying food that's actually boosting our health. And getting the kids involved in cooking has been a highlight. Green Chef's recipes are so straightforward that the kids can really get hands-on in the kitchen. It's been fun watching them learn about where their food comes from and how to make meals they're excited to eat. And here's a little bit extra to share with you. Green Chef is proudly part of the HelloFresh family, offering an even wider variety of meal plans. It's fun to flip between the two and have different dining experiences. And guess what? You can too. Go to greenchef.com slash 60BBB and use my code 60BBB to get 60% off plus 20% off your next two months. That's right. Dive into the world of clean, delicious eating with Green Chef and enjoy a hearty discount on us. So why wait? Join us in this flavorful, healthy journey with Green Chef. We're eating well is made simple, enjoyable, and absolutely delicious. Remember, Green Chef is the number one meal kit for eating well. So go and check it out. Greenchef.com slash 60BBB and use our code 60BBB. I have been noticing this significant trend, and maybe it's just because of the industry I'm in, but there's been a lot of layoffs. And I think a lot of people don't necessarily um, tie in that grief and loss with careers. Yeah, relationships, divorce, sure, but careers. Are you seeing Mm -hmm. this in your practice a lot? Because a lot of this loss is like, you get a personal email saying you're done and you don't, you don't, you're cut off from everything. It's not even like a relationship where you like, okay, I don't know if this is going well. Uh, It's like you wake up and you're like, what the hell? And it's so surprising. And so I'm, I'm curious, what, how do you, what are you recommending to people when they, when they experience this? Yeah. And it's interesting because I don't know if you're on TikTok, but I've, you know, I'm, I'm a watcher. And so I'm watching these videos of people saying, get ready with me as I prepare to get laid off today, you know, and then they proceed to explain kind of why they assume they're going to get laid off because, you know, they're reading into all of the behavior of, you know, the messages they're getting or the, you know, the, the, the way that somebody answered them in a meeting and inevitably they're right. And so, and then you kind of go through it with them. And then they hang up and they're crying and they're in a state of, you know, fight or flight because now they're like, oh my God, that's real. And I'm, I'm traumatized by this because I, you know, maybe it's, I count on this paycheck to paycheck. I have nothing, you know, some of these people live in a big city, big city and they can't afford their rent if they're laid off or, you know, and that's, 
that's true for everyone. Inevitably, money runs out. And so there isn't a whole lot of advice, quote unquote. But I think that when people call me in this place, it's usually because there's more than just the loss of a job. Because inevitably, the loss of your livelihood can can have a ripple effect into other losses in your life. So it can be that now, you know, perhaps your relationship is on the rocks. You've lost, uh, you know, all of your friends were at work and now you're completely isolated and alone. You have no social support and no peer support. So that's another loss. You obviously have lost your paycheck and your livelihood. Now you may lose your safety and your home. You may now lose your sense of who you were in the world because this job was your identity. You know, you may lose a sense of all expectations for yourself now in the future because you were counting on that promotion and a raise and now you've gotten laid off. So there's never just the loss of a job. There's a loss of seven to, you know, 15, 20 other things that come along with it. And I think that becomes a trauma for people in the moment. And so it's not that they come just sad about their loss of their job. It's a real crisis. And so you've got to sort of help people get through that crisis point, which is not much different than, okay, let's plan the immediate. Let's plan one week at a time. And, you know, because some people are not like, okay, I'm going to move now and I'm going to go look for another apartment. It's like, okay, this has happened. I'm sitting here like, now what? And when you have that sense of a crisis, it's, we, we, have to, we have to calm the nervous system before we can start making plans. And I know that sounds kind of lame too, right? How do I calm my nervous system? But you really can't make plans and you can't think clearly if you're in a state of crisis. And so it's really about doing that first and then deciding, okay, if I'm an air traffic controller and I try to land all of these planes at one time, it will be utter catastrophe. So what are the most important planes that I have to land right now? Which can we leave on the tarmac? Which ones are in the air that can hang around and circle the airport for a while? What is the most urgent and important plane it is? And it's different for everyone. And so for me, it gives a great visual to help people sort of say, okay, I, I can tackle that one plane. We can land this plane together. And, you know, when I'll go through with them with that, what does that plane look like? What are, you know, how can we safely land it? Who are the people on, you know, on the tarmac that are going to help you, uh, you know, get the people off the plane, whatever it may be. And so that to me feels like when we're in a state of crisis, it's just one plane at a time. And, and really as much as we can not getting into a place where we catastrophize our entire lives, even though it can feel that way. Yeah. There's a really cool book called, um, who not how, it's mainly a business book, but there's a lot of personal stuff that you can take yeah. from there. And I think when people lose their job, their first question is like, well, how am I going to get a new one? How am I going to do this? And the book is really fascinating because it tells you it's not about the how, it's about the who. Like, who can help me? Who can help me fix up my resume? Who can help me practice interviewing? Who can help me introduce to introduce to folks like finding your who's in ter in terms of crisis or trauma mm -hmm. is really important because you can't just say how am I going to do this like it can't just be you um you have to really widen your network and say you know who are my who's that are going to yeah. help me and get me into a place um it's a really cool book that 
might open some eyes for people and and recognize like when you just sort of put your head down and say, I'm going to just power through and get this all done myself. I'm curious what your thoughts are on the people who are more avoidant. So they're that's their natural tendencies to avoid the grief or the acceptance or the loss or the trauma or whatever. Um, how do, how do you get these people to wake up and realize that like you can't avoid forever? Yeah. Those are usually not the people that seek therapy. (laughs) So, so, So those are the people that will come around usually if they have no choice. Right. And so, Here's what I do say is that we really can't outrun our grief. It will show up no matter how, you know, how far we run. You know, there's that saying, what we resist persists. Um, It will come up in your body. You know, when my mom died, I thought, I'm a grief therapist. Like, I've got this. I'm going to stand on my little pile of victory here with my flag and, you know, say all the things that I've ever said to anyone, which I, you know, which, which doesn't work for me. And, you know, and that was it. And I, and I wound up saying, okay, I've got to get to work. I've got things to do. I don't have time for this. Like I intellectually know what I'm experiencing. So that's enough. And yet I wound up in the hospital with pancreatitis and, you know, I wound up with really some serious medical issues. Um, And I don't attribute it a hundred percent to grief, but I do attribute it to a very, very high stressor in my life that caused me to, you know, and and ignoring a really big stressor in my life that then manifested itself physically. And so, you know, so I kind of laugh at the avoidant idea because you can run, but you can't hide. And so it's so inevitably it will happen, you know? And so I never get calls like, hi, therapist, you know, I, I really, I don't want to look at anything. But I'd like to come in anyway and, you know, talk about other things outside of the big thing that's sitting on my face right now, this big, you know, weight. And, and so it's, it's not usual for me, but what I can say is it's usually the family member of somebody that's coming to me that wants to help that person. And, you know, to say like, my dad's totally not even, doesn't even talk about my mom or my brother doesn't even mention it. It's the death anniversary and like nobody's around, no one cares or, you know, and it's, here's the thing, you know, you can't go through significant loss and just push it down and pretend it didn't happen. Inevitably, it will come up and and it might be something that's secret and only they know about. Um, But I can guarantee that it is not out of sight, out of mind. Yeah, I definitely was in the avoidant early in the earlier stages of my life. But it, to me, I would always say like, I'm just going to stuff it and stuff it and stuff it. And then then it just, there's no room, right? It's like, imagine if you're just constantly stuffing your clothes in a closet and then one day you open it to stuff the next thing and everything just comes yeah. crashing yeah. down on you. So if I was to come to you, I'd probably be like a hot, blubbery mess crying and be like, I just can't do it anymore. And I love then it. I'd be like, I'm going to tell you everything the past year. Uh, so eventually we get to therapy, but we were usually um, on fire when when we get there. Well, that's what we're here for. But yeah. Come as you are. <laughs> just show yeah. up on time and tell exactly. the truth. Those are my exactly. two rules, right? I don't care. Well, I've got the fire extinguishers. We've got this together. You know, that's the point. Come as you are. You are the fire Mm -hmm. extinguisher. That's what you are. You're definitely that. Um, What are some common obstacles people face 
when they're experiencing grief, loss, transitions? I think a lot of it is compare and despair. I think that people, you know, Mm. grief, loss, transitions are really individual. They're really unique to us. They, They have the meaning that is important to us and it's different for everyone. And so I think that because it's such a such an unknown path and because we don't know the future and we're humans who need to know the future a lot and have a semblance of control all the time, um, we tend to look to others who've gone through something similar to how they've done it, right? That's why memoirs are so popular. I, mean, I love them myself, right? I want to I relate to someone else's story who's been through this. The trap in that though is that not everything works for everybody. And if, you know, Susie down the block is six months after her loss, just up and at it, dating again or whatever, you know, back to work, doing great, and you still feel really bad, you're going to take that in and internalize yourself as, as stuck, as doing grief wrong, as being bad at something, um, as being more of a mess, which will then spiral into more mental health challenges, like and more anxiety, more depression. And that can be really detrimental. So, you know, I always say, look, no matter who it is, whether it's your own family members, everyone will grieve a loss differently, no matter what, no matter whom, no matter how, no matter how much time passes, your loss is your loss. And please don't compare it to anyone else. Um, That is a pitfall that is incredibly dangerous um, or can be anyway. I think it's good to do things in support groups because then you are actually not comparing yourself, but you're sharing a lot of what you're going through and you're being validated in what it is that you share. So that's a really good way of being. But, you know, I think the idea of comparing, I think, you know, listening to society, people are really, really excited to tell you how to do things and, you know, sharing their opinions on what they think is best for you, bless their hearts. And <laughs> some of the time it's really wrong advice. And, you know, they, they tend to either want to pull us or push us. And it's really important that we have a sense of patience and presence with ourselves and with other people grieving. Um, walk beside them, right? That sounds like this cute, you know, cliche thing to say. But the truth is, is we need people who are with us. We don't need people's opinions on where we should be or how we should do it. We just need the presence, show up, be there for us. Um, Because we don't know where we are. We just need the traveling companionship um, and the support and the love, no matter where we are, whether we're having a good day or a bad day. Um, The platitudes, all of that stuff is really hard. Um, And it can push us off course and make us feel, again, crazy, doing it wrong, bad. All of this stuff is, all of this stuff is very, it's like, a very thin veil of we're doing this right or we're doing this wrong. And there's no right or wrong way to grieve something. There's no one one great way to go through a transition or go through a trauma. It's it's whatever way works, right? But being able to ask for help and receive help is really hard too um, because we don't know what we need all the time. And so people don't always know what to give us. So I say just if we can show up with presence and patience for ourselves and compassion, um, it almost in some way teaches people to do the same for us. So those are some of the things that, you know, I think are important no matter what life transition you're going through. Um, we need people around us that understand us, that care unconditionally, that are going to be with us in the darkness and the light on our good days. You know, it's 
it's a really interesting thing when people are going through a loss or any kind of thing that's really um, self-defining in some way, people see you laugh and they're like, great, she's better. She's not grieving anymore. She's not going through anything hard. And then you have a hard day and it's like, what? (laughs) Or, you know, and you worry that you're crying too much. So, you know, people will judge that. But then you're worried that you can't look too happy because people will judge that. And so it's the idea of grief is going to be all of it. Whatever it is we're grieving, good things, hard things, significant, painful things, we're going to have days where we might laugh again. And God, I hope so. And that doesn't mean we're not grieving. And so it's really about teaching society that, again, like I said earlier, that grief is in the gray and that it encompasses all of it, the entire human experience and all of the emotions. And the good, the bad, the ugly, the terrifying, the confused, the lost, all of it. But that if we have a day where we're smiling, yeah, let's celebrate that moment. Because tomorrow we might not be, or in an hour we might not be. And so it's really, it's, it's a really interesting thing that we, within grief, and I think this really only happens with grief. We have so many societal expectations about how long it should take what it should look like, you know, mm-hmm. how we should get through it, what it should look like. And, and it's all, it's, it's crazy to me because everyone will grieve different things in different ways at different times. It will come up, it will lessen in intensity, it will increase in intensity. Everyone has a different relationship to their loss. And so for us to create rules and sanctions about what we deem worthy of being grieved, whom we think is worthy of being grieved, um, and how they should do it is laughable and incredibly scary at the same time, no matter what it is we're going through. So it, it just creates a sense of living in a vacuum with our loss and being isolated. And um, that's unacceptable to me. Yeah. Well, you said some things about like how people should show up when they support somebody who's um, grieving something. And oh man, I don't know if you have kids or if, do you have kids? No. Okay. There's uh, this book, it's called The Rabbit Listens. Mm. And it's like a kid book. And the first time I read it, I was like, my eyes were bawling because it's this really cute story of this boy who is building this giant block tower and then it falls. And he's super sad about it because he was trying really hard and he was trying to build it really hard. And all of these animals come in one by one. And like the first one's angry, like, let's get angry about this. And the boy's like, go away. It's like, let's get sad about this. Let's do this. And every single animal is trying to tell him how to grieve. And then the rat, like a little rabbit bunny comes and just like bounces and like looks around and sees the boy and just like snuggles up to him and says nothing. And then all of a sudden the boy starts saying all of these things of what happened. He's like, I want to get mad. I want to get angry. I want to get this. And the rabbit's just like listening. Mm. And then he like hugs the rabbit and he's like, okay, I'm going to rebuild it. And the rabbit's just sitting there saying nothing. And I'm like, when I read that book, I don't know, as an adult, I was like, it just really hit me of like, okay, like in the best, the best thing you can do for someone who's grieving is just show up and listen and say nothing because they don't want to hear your advice on how to fix their yeah. situation. Yeah. They just want someone to listen. So, Oh, I love this book. Re- I've got to get this book. I'm not oh. sure how I haven't heard of it. I mean, there's a lot of children's books in my yes. life. So I've got to get this book. 
we we need it for adults. <laughs> adults have to show up to no, listen. No, I know. I'm like, I, I was crying. I was crying and my kids were like, what's wrong with you? And I'm like, the rabbit yeah. just listened. Oh, yeah. Obviously. It's a present. Um, but yeah, exactly. But speaking of books, I would love for you to tell us a little bit more about your book. What's it called? Give us a highlight. Where can people find it? Um, I'd love to hear more about it. I have it next to me. I don't know if it shows up on this, but this oh. is my book. Um, hi. Yeah. Um, I haven't done this in a while. So I'm like that person in The Price is Right. Or maybe Vanna White holding up a letter. But yeah, so I wrote this book called Moving On Doesn't Mean Letting Go. Again, as a little bit of an answer to society saying, you've got to move on. You've got to let go. Like as if those two things are mutually exclusive. Um, and it was a book that I wrote um, mid-pandemic, or I started it anyway, started the process because so many people were coming to me with different types of losses. Um, friendship loss was a really big one, you know, different types of non-death losses. And there weren't really books on the market for the kind of the age group that was coming in looking for answers or tools or just understanding of what they were experiencing. And, you know, some clients are like, can I have some book recommendations? I'm recommending all the books. And there are wonderful books on grief, for sure. Um, and I'm grateful to join the conversation in this way. But, you know, every book will speak differently to different people. And so there were people sort of asking for similar things of talking about non-death loss or having somebody walk them through it in a, in a kind of more modern way. How do we date again? How do we go back to work? How do we create boundaries? How do we say no to events? Um, you know, and 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 also I felt like there wasn't enough time in the day for the people calling me during the pandemic. There weren't a lot of grief therapists. There are there are not. I think that now there are starting to be more because loss is such a prominent thing happening for people. But at that time, it felt like I only had these two hands and I was doing the best I could, but I was kind of running out of steam and people either weren't in New York State or you know, just lived in a place where there were no grief therapists or they couldn't afford therapy. And so, you know, between my clients saying, hey, I like what you tell me. Can you write a book on like more of that? Can you give more advice in this? Um, and also kind of wanting to give access to more clinical access to people who may not have it in other places or be able to afford therapy. Um, I decided that I wanted to, and not that I think I'm the best therapist in the world, but I decided that I wanted to write something that could be an offering in some way to people who may not be able to understand what they're going through or know how to get through it in some way. Um, and so it's as close to grief therapy with me as one can get. If my entire heart is in this book, um, every page of it. And I really just wanted to speak to a more modern loss experience for people um, but also kind of give them that sense of agency, like this is really hard and there's no cure and there's no real closure, but we can get through this together to a place that may feel better for you. Um, and so, yeah, so I decided to write the book that also spoke to society that says moving on doesn't mean letting go. You know, people may die, but our relationships don't, or things may, you know, end, but the their, their impact or their effect on us are still with us. Sometimes the things that are the hardest are still written to all we become. They give us our strength. They give us our stamina. They, they help us pivot when things feel hard. You know, sometimes people come to me with that job loss you were talking about and they realize they never wanted to do this thing to begin with. And so we get to sort of 
pivot together and say, okay, we have this freedom now. What is it that we want to build? You know, what is that little boy's tower going to look like now? It doesn't have to be built the same way. And so there's a freedom in that and even a joy underneath all of the pain and confusion and shame and whatever the feelings may be. And so it's a real exploration of all of that, the complicated layers. Um, And yeah, it means everything to me. It came out last August, end of August. And yeah, I'm in the midst of sort of traveling, trying to get the word out about it. Grief is a hard sell. as you know. People don't really love buying books on loss. I've I've noticed, no, but unless yeah. you need it, and yet we're all going through loss of some kind. Well, and I like your modern, I was gonna say, I like your modern approach because I think a lot of people think grief and loss is death. And I think there's this, there's a modern approach now where it means relationships, jobs, opportunities. Like it could mean so many more things and that we yeah. need to, we need to recognize that the things that are happening to us allow, like, are we are allowed to grieve them. Yeah, you know exactly that, so and like also that. how to do it, how to do it in a way that makes you feel right. like you can honor it and acknowledge it in the ways it needs to be honored. Yeah. So that's my hope. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> And what about um, Instagram or TikTok? You said you're you're on. Well, you said you're a watcher on <laughs> I TikTok. Watch. Where else can people? I find am mostly you? on Instagram. Instagram is a place that feels like a real community at this point. I'm so grateful for the people that come to my page. Um, my name on Instagram is Gina Maffa LCSW, all squished together. Um, and if you go there, say hello. Uh, you know, it's to me the point of it is to not just create content, but to engage, to be there, to answer some questions as I can. Um, Sometimes I can't because it's, you know, therapy. I can't really give advice, but to be present with people and to create a community. So some people are meeting other people on my page and it becomes a sense of support for people that may not have it in other places in their lives. And so I'm really, really moved and humbled and grateful that the page is growing in the way that it is. And that it can be a place for people as well, just to come and say what they need to say or learn what they need to learn. So um, mostly that. And and my website, I, I have blogs that I come out with every month and some newsletters that are not super often. So they're not so annoying. Um, and my website is ginamafa.com. And um, yeah, I'm pretty active on there as well. There's other podcasts or, you know, articles, all of that. So It's just trying to be a resource on loss in different ways as much as possible. Well, thank you so much. This was really helpful. I know it helped me. I'm sure it's going to help a lot of people listening too. Um, And I so appreciate the conversation. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And thank you for all you're doing. You have a really badass (laughs) podcast and I'm grateful to be a part of it. So thank you for all you do. As always, thank you for listening. Check us out on Instagram at Badass Basic Bitch. And thank you to Saw and Sign, our production studio. We'll see you next week. Bye.